Thanks, guys, and good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here with you online. Uh, we, a few months ago, had decided on paper that we were going to uh, launch into a series right after Easter uh, dealing with uh, what we call the triple threat or uh, three significant threats uh, to love and happiness in your closest relationships. What we did not know at the time was, of course, uh, the situation that we would be in now. And I think the situation that we're in now is that uh, for some, maybe not for everyone, but for some, there has been uh, new kinds of pressures uh, put on your closest relationships. Uh, there have been new opportunities uh, to deal with some things in relationships. And so I'm excited to jump in for the next three weeks and talk about uh, what I consider to be three significant threats uh, to developing uh, the kinds of relationships that we uh, envision in our mind are possible, uh, the kinds of loving, uh, supportive, happy relationships. Um, for some of you, uh, your most important relationship is uh, your spouse uh, because you're married. And for some of you, uh, maybe you're single with kids and the most important relationships are your relationship with your kids. Um, for some of you, if you don't have uh, a spouse or kids, uh, your most important relationship may be with some close friends, maybe some coworkers, uh, maybe extended family members. Uh, but regardless of where you're at, uh, what I wanna address today is uh, something that uh, every close relationship uh, will have to navigate at some point. So I'll, what I'll do is I'll tell you up front what uh, the three threats are that we're gonna deal with uh, starting today over the next three weeks. Uh, the first one that we're gonna deal with today is hurt, when there's hurt in a relationship. Uh, then we're gonna deal with fear in relationships and then we're gonna deal with anger uh, in relationships. And uh, what I wanna do is uh, look to the word of God for some wisdom, um, look to the Word of God for some tools uh, to uh, navigate uh, relationship. And for today, in dealing with hurt, uh, we're going to, uh, we're actually not going to get into the whole story, but we're going to use the story of Job. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a little enough background on Job for those of you who are not familiar with his story to kind of understand uh, the situation. But then what we're going to do is we're going to unpack uh, a few statements, a few passages where uh, Job is sort of dissecting his friend's attempts to help him when he's really hurting. Um, we'll include some other passages as well, but that's kind of what we're going to work off of. So I'll give you a little bit of background, and then I'm going to give you actually six uh, truths uh, regarding navigating hurt in relationship. I know six is more points than what I normally do, but I just couldn't uh, convince myself to get rid of any one of them. So, but we'll move fairly quickly. And then at the very end, uh, I'm just gonna land with a couple of passages that uh, really show God's heart uh, towards those who have been uh, hurt and or wounded. What I'm gonna do before we jump right in is I'm gonna pray. And what I want you to do is, this will help you as you, as you listen, is to, in your mind, uh, maybe think of one or two people uh, that are the most most important relationships to you. Um, 
that uh, as we go through this, you can think of what I'm sharing in regards to those relationships and ask God uh, for insight into those relationships. What I don't want is for these tools to be sort of abstract uh, ideas. I want there to be real consequence and real action taken uh, in your closest relationships. So uh, take a minute and just ask the Lord to lead you in that, and I'll pray for you. God, we're so thankful uh, for your perfect love that we can draw from as an example. Um, We often stumble through it in our relationships with others. Um, Seems like at times we accumulate failures faster than successes. Um, And yet we know that you're calling us to life, uh, to wisdom, uh, to life abundant in you. And so we ask for your guidance. We ask uh, for insight and a courage to even uh, confront our own weaknesses, our own failures, and our own inability as we uh, grow into your image, into Christ-likeness, particularly in our relationships with those that we're closest to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's the uh, sort of the little bit of background on Job. First, a sip of coffee. Oh man, that's good coffee. Uh, So the story of Job, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, Job is buried kind of in the middle of the Bible. It's a very um, uh, isolated story, meaning it doesn't actually really fit in with the timeline of the rest of stories of scripture. It's sort of its own story. And it's about a man who God allows uh, Satan to test to evaluate the quality of his love for God to evaluate the quality of his commitment. And that test meant that uh, Job lost everything. Job was a very successful, um, uh, respected, wealthy man. Um, Job had children. And in a very brief period of time, Job lost everything. Uh, He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his possessions. And he lost all of his children uh, to uh, calamity. Basically, a house collapsed on him. After that, some time went by, and then Satan was given permission to actually inflict damage upon Job's body. And so he was he was stricken with a with a horrendous disease that basically broke out on his skin, consisted of boils on his skin that were that were irritated and oozing. And it's just really an uh, an awful story. And yet the story um, is that God was accomplishing something. Um, something that was uh, beyond Job's awareness, um, and yet God's confidence was that Job was a worthy vessel to accomplish his purposes. And so he entrusted this suffering to Job, believing that Job would navigate it well. So Job is in a terrible condition. It says that uh, he had uh, a few friends that showed up. There was actually four of them. We only know about three of them in the beginning of the story. It says that they showed up and when they saw Job from a distance, they actually were just overwhelmed with grief at his, at his state, at, at seeing him in this condition. And so they, they end up joining uh, Job. He is, he is there in his, really in his disease, uh, covered uh, from head to toe with these boils, scraping the boils with like uh, pieces of pottery, broken pieces of pottery to, to 
I don't know, to clean them out or something. Anyways, he's lost everything. His his wife is basically saying, dude, you need to like just curse God and be over with this. Just die already. And his friends join him and it says that they sat down with him and for a week they didn't say anything. And then what happens in the story is that they begin to speak. And when they begin to speak, essentially what they have to say is, Job, you must have really messed up uh, because God, God doesn't let this kind of thing happen to people who have not significantly messed up. And that's a whole thing that's unpacked through Job. But what I want to focus in specifically is a couple of passages where, where Job is responding to his friend's efforts to sort of intervene in what has been a profoundly painful experience for him, because there's these little, like, uh, really fascinating uh, little pieces of insight that will be guidance for us. So I'm going to read just a couple of passages of Job responding, and then we're going to unpack them in detail and arrive at our at our six conclusions about uh, what it looks like to navigate hurt uh, in our relationships with others, where we're dealing with other people who are hurt. Uh, so I'm going to read from Job 6, verse 21 through 26, and then I'm going to read from Job 16, verse 2 through 5. Job says, You see a terror and you're afraid, but have I said, give me something or offer a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the hand of the adversary or redeem me from the hand of the tyrants? Teach me and I will be silent. Show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? Do you intend to reprove my words when the words of one in despair belong to the wind? Now jumping to chapter 16. Sorry, comforters are you all. Is there no limit to windy words or what plagues you that you answer? I too could speak like you if I were in your place. I could compose words against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth and the solace of my lips could lessen your pain. So those are just a couple of passages of Job responding. And now what I want to do is uh, highlight six uh, sort of truths or uh, guiding principles that I think we need to come to terms with when we're navigating uh, intimate relationships with people who are hurting. First one is this. A hurting friend will cost you. Job 6.21, he begins by saying, you see a terror and you are afraid. So he says, you, you see me in my terrible situation and my pain makes you afraid. There's a consequence that you experience in seeing me in pain. Sometimes the consequence of having loved ones in pain is just simply uh, that, that they're hurt robs me of my own peace, right? Like I, I feel that hurts to some degree and uh, I have to, because I'm in proximity with this person, I have to experience it as well. And so it costs me in that way. 
Other times, um, the hurt of someone we love uh, creates barriers to a true sense of joyful connectedness. So particularly in the marriage relationship, when, when one person in the marriage is hurt, um, there's, there's a cost to that. So if my wife is hurting, that costs me in my capacity to, to just enjoy um, a particular quality of relationship, of connectedness, right? Uh, to, for lack of a better way to say it, the fun is gone. And that comes at a cost to me. Now, there are different ways to cause hurt, right? Um, or there are different sources of hurt. So hurt could be a product of circumstance. Um, hurt can be as a result of something that I did directly that hurt someone that I love. And that might have been, um, been entirely unintentional, right? Um, or maybe it was, it was deliberate, not even maybe I was trying to hurt them, but I was trying to be hurtful. Um, and then other times hurt can be caused by uh, neglect. Uh, in fact, many would argue that the hurt of neglect is one of the most uh, difficult to navigate um, because it's done uh, so much alone and because the hurt is sort of indirect, uh, it's more difficult to put a finger on. But regardless, when someone you love is hurting, there's going to be a cost to you. And sometimes uh, the hurt in people that I love, if it was caused either through my direct action or through my neglect, um, sometimes that person's hurt is a painful reminder of my own failures. And I do not like painful reminders of my own failures. And so I don't want to pay that price, right? A painful reminder of my failure is a cost to me and I don't want to pay that price. Well, Job says, you see my painful situation and it makes you afraid. And so you're actually responding out of your own um, selfish or maybe self-centered uh, issues that you're dealing with. Um, but the truth is this, is that a hurting friend will cost you. There's going to be a price. And if you can't come to terms with that, then you're going to be fighting against uh, that person in their hurt and, and probably do more damage. So that's number one. Come to terms with the reality that when you're dealing with a, a, a person who is in your life who is hurting, um, you're going to pay a price. And just reconcile that. Just come to terms with that and accept that. In fact, embrace it. Embrace it as an opportunity to lay your own life down and pay the price for this other person who is hurting. Number two, uh, a hurting friend cannot be healed by force. Job continues on in verse 22. He says, did I ask you to give me something? Did I ask you to offer a bribe for me from your own wealth? Did I ask you to deliver me from the hand of the adversary or redeem me from the hand of tyrants? In other words, the assistance that Job's friends are trying to provide him is not an assistance or a, a, a help that Job had requested. They're forcing their um, genius wisdom, their, their profound insight, they're forcing it on him because he doesn't have any way to escape. Job says, did I, did I ask you? to fix my problems? 
did I request that you come and solve my riddles? And it's rhetorical, of course. His answer is, no, I did not ask for your, uh, your input on this matter at this time. A hurting friend uh, cannot be healed by force. It can't be demanded through forceful intervention. If you haven't come to terms with paying the price, accepting the cost of being a friend to someone who's hurting, you don't want to pay that price, you don't want it to cost you, you will be tempted to forcefully try to rid them of their hurt. Let's get rid of this as quickly as possible. And that forcefulness is not the solution. Some of you know this, but... Uh, and I think it was last year, uh, Jason, my brother, my older brother, who runs our setup and teardown teams uh, and has for years actually, uh, was slinging totes, those big black wheeled totes that we use when we, back when we used to have church the normal way. Uh, he was slinging totes up on the shelf and uh, lost his balance, fell backwards. He was standing on one of the totes and he fell backwards and in trying to catch himself, he actually pushed his shoulder out of socket, like all the way up around. And um, his uh, one of his kids actually came out and got me. This was like uh, probably like 1230, about a half an hour after uh, we had ended our service, but not officially because you should stick around and pick up chairs. Uh, anyways, I walked in there and uh, my brother Jason was white as a ghost. Um, laying on the floor uh, because the pain was so intense. Um, now I'm going to tell you what I did, and this is going to be quite bothersome to some of you, but keep in mind, uh, we were a big family. We grew up overseas. So this actually isn't the first time I have tried to um, implement some kind of street medicine method. So I don't advise this, but I have done this previously and actually successfully. But in this instance, I said to Jason, who is there on the floor, uh, sweating, and, and just pale in pain, I said, do you want me to try to relocate your shoulder for you? And he sort of groaned, and I took that as an affirmative, I guess. And so I grabbed his arm, and I put my foot on his, on his, uh, his rib cage, and I pulled as hard as I could. <laughs> and um, it didn't work. I was not successful this time around, uh, although I have, in desperate situations before, relocated someone's shoulder using a similar method. The force uh, greatly increased my brother's pain, and so we picked him up, uh, drug him out to the car, and took him up to the ER. And uh, when he got to the ER, uh, of course, they did some x-rays. And then uh, the doctor who was tending there, in fact, I don't even remember her name. She was great. Um, the doctor that was attending there uh, took his arm and, and so slowly and gently, I don't even remember exactly what the move was, but just rotated his arm just so gently and carefully. And then all of a sudden, it was back in socket so perfectly. And then the pain was gone, right? The pain, uh, well, most of the pain was immediately eliminated because the shoulder was back in place. If you're not game for paying the price for someone else's hurt, if you don't want it to cost you, you will be tempted to try to forcefully cure them of their hurt. 
but hurt, hurt of the heart, emotional hurt, um, it's not healed by force. Helping a hurting friend will always happen at the pace set by the hurting friend. It doesn't actually matter how much you want to expedite the process of healing hurt. You simply don't have that power. You don't have the capacity to rush the healing process. And using force will not accomplish that. So number one, a hurting friend will cost you. Number two, a hurting friend cannot be healed by force. Number three, a hurting friend is not helped through negotiation. This is actually one of my favorites. Um, Primarily because I've been a bonehead in this regard many times before. Uh, Verse 24, Job says, teach me and I will be silent. Show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? So at this point, Job's being clearly uh, sarcastic with his friends. Oh, please tell me, what did I do wrong to deserve this hurt? And then he says, but what do your arguments prove? But what does it matter at this point? Like, what does that, that doesn't, that doesn't change my situation. Do you think that telling me that I probably deserve this pain is going to help me right now process this hurt, this pain? I've lost everything. My children are dead. What does your argument prove? What I have found um, through trial and error, unfortunately, is that to, to, to try to reduce another person's hurt by delegitimizing it or rationalizing it is probably a good way to get hurt yourself. We say things like, well, I think you're overreacting. I think that um, your, some of your hurt is deserved it's legitimate, therefore complaining about that hurt is not legitimate, therefore stop feeling so hurt. And what we're really saying is I don't want your hurt to cost me. What I'm suggesting when I try to negotiate someone else's hurt, someone that I love, what I'm suggesting is that I have unique insight to arbitrate what amount of hurt is reasonably allowed given the circumstance. I'm the gauge of that. Not you, the person who's experiencing that hurt, but as the person who hasn't experienced, I have a platform from which I can tell you what is legitimate or not legitimate about the hurt you're experiencing. And if I can convince you that it's not legitimate or that uh, because you deserve it, you shouldn't, it shouldn't feel so painful, right? You shouldn't be so upset about it. If I can convince you of that, then you'll stop hurting and I'll stop paying the price for it. The truth is, and, and, and uh, Job is not an example of this because Job didn't deserve his pain. But the truth is, in reality, even pain that, that is deserved is painful. Um, 
I once dove off of a platform through an inner tube into five feet of water um, uh, in a swimming pool and smashed my face, knocked my teeth out. It was very painful for a long time. I deserve that. I made the decision to make that boneheaded dive off of that platform into shallow water without really thinking about what I was doing. No one made me. Knowing that didn't make it less painful. A hurting friend is not helped through negotiation. That's number three. So <clears throat> number one, a hurting friend will cost you. A hurting friend cannot be healed by force. Number three, a hurting friend is not helped by negotiating or by negotiation. Number four, a hurting friend may not make much sense. Verse 26, Job speaks to this. He says, do you intend to reprove my words? When the words of one in despair belong to the wind. He says, do you understand that when in pain, I may say some things that don't entirely stack up, but that seems like it's probably a result of the pain that I'm still experiencing. Do you intend to, to take issue and, and dissect exactly what I've said during my, uh, from my place of hurt when you know that when someone is in pain, their words belong to the wind? In other words, that when we're in pain, we, we may say or do things that are not entirely reasonable, so to speak, And yet again, if you have not reconciled that you must pay a price to be in relationship with people who are hurting, you will be tempted to dissect their words and use their words against them. Well, you said this, but you meant this, but then why did you say this? And Job says, guys, stop. I'm, I'm, I'm literally just moaning in pain. He says, don't work too hard to analyze the moanings that are produced by pain. Now, I want to be clear about something. There is a time to bring sense and truth into pain. There, there is a time to bring insight into what caused it. Um... I'm not suggesting that wisdom should never be offered in response to people's painful experiences, but timing is everything. And if you're willing to slow yourself down on your time frame of offering input, it'll give you a chance to evaluate your own motives because once again, Hurting friends will cost you. So check yourself first. Wait until the time is right. Usually that means waiting until the, the hurt is not forefront. 
Proverbs 25.11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word aptly spoken. Your translation might say a word spoken in the right circumstance or the right time. Aptly actually means both. It means the, the right word at the right time is such a valuable gift. The right word at the wrong time is not a valuable gift. It might be a curse. Just because it's true doesn't mean you should say it. The Proverbs is loaded with instruction about what not to say. Word aptly spoken. Yes, wisdom is needed. Truth is needed. Insight is needed at the right time. Keep in mind that a hurting friend may not make much sense because that is one of the consequences of pain. Um, we respond to it in ways that are not entirely logically defensible when analyzed in that way. But there is a, like a, a response that comes out of the, the, the human heart, the aching response to pain. A hurting friend may not make much sense. That's number four. Number five, a hurting friend is easily victimized again. So we're going to jump to, to chapter 16 in Job. He says, sorry, comforters are you all. <laughs> is there no limit to windy words or what plagues you that you answer? Why do you insist on continuing to talk? And then he says this, he says, I too could speak like you if I were in your place. I could compose words against you and shake my head at you. He says, yeah, I could, I could probably like fight back and be equally as like dogmatically condescending towards you if I had the strength for it. But I'm not in your position. I'm the one who's suffering. I don't even have the capacity really to fight against you. Hurting friends are easily victimized again because the hurt has reduced their capacity to even um, defend themselves. Um, it has made them more vulnerable, more sensitive if you don't like paying the price of, of, of a loved one's hurt, let's, so let's talk about this in marriage. If you have a tendency to try to force their healing or negotiate their pain, if you demand them to be entirely irrational in their response to their pain, your hurting spouse is going to do everything in their power to avoid you and the topic of their hurt. Why? Because hurting people are easily victimized again. So let's talk about it with your own kids. If you don't like paying the price of your kids hurt, maybe that you've caused by not responding well to them. Um, or maybe, maybe it's the, the sin of omission. You neglected something that was important and, and you've caused some hurt. If you don't want to pay the price for their hurt, if you have a tendency to try to force them to heal, to try to negotiate the legitimacy of their hurt, if you demand that they be rational in their response to hurt, analyze 
very carefully all of the words that they say when they're hurting and demand them uh, to be more coherent, more convincing. Your hurting child is going to do everything in their power to avoid you and the topic of their hurt. Because when you are hurting, you are easily victimized again. We only lay open our wounds to the gentlest of healers, the kindest of caregivers. Because our existing wounds, our existing areas of hurt, are the areas where we're most easily wounded again where we're most sensitive, where we're most likely to get hurt again. Several years ago, quite a few years ago, um, my son Jaden, who was, I think, two at the time, got his finger in the, in the hinged side of a door in our home Ugh. and it severed his finger. And so um, we took him to the ER and um, honestly, uh, they were great, except one of the medical providers. It was one of the medical providers who uh, was involved in, in getting his finger put back together, who seemed lost on the fact that uh, a two-year-old child is going to protect that place of pain for fear of more pain being caused, right? So a two-year-old is going gonna, is gonna to hold that finger covered up and, and not want you to do anything to it because it's, it's already in pain, which means it's more sensitive to being hurt again, right? To be in a source of even greater pain. And I remember there was one of the one of the, the medical care providers who was just totally insensitive to this, and I just found myself like immediately like <laughs> uh, angry. Um, now, I, I'll be honest and say that's almost never happened. Um, but when someone is insensitive to existing pain and the opportunity. Or the likelihood of causing new pain, someone is some, someone seems clueless to that. Um, as a spectator, it's enraging. But as a victim, it's terrifying. Jenny and I came to a realization in our relationship um, that there were certain conversations that we just simply couldn't have. We had trained each other through our own insensitivity to, to hurt, we had trained each other that the, this kind of conversation was too risky. Don't try to bring up this area of hurt because you will be hurt again. The likelihood of getting hurt again was too high. And our history of hurt in our relationship had only taught us in that particular area to hide our pain. problem is, is that hidden and unaddressed hurt will always stand in the way of love and happiness. If there's hurt in a relationship that is unresolved, in other words, it's been, it's been covered over but never healed, um, 
relationship that you imagine is possible, the happiness that you imagine, the joy that you imagine in that relationship, you can't get there without first going through um, and healing that hurt. Um, and like we said in number one, it's going to cost you to do so. There's going to be a price to pay, but it's so worth it. If you want to uproot hidden hurt in your closest relationships, there is only one way, and this is number six. A hurting friend is helped best by sharing in their hurt. So in the previous one, Job said, listen, if I were in your place, I could bring an argument against you. I could shake my finger at you. And then he says, also in verse five, if I were in your place, I could strengthen you with my mouth, meaning with the things that I say. And the solace of my lips could lessen your pain. In other words, if I was in your position, yeah, I could be all harshly judgmental and critical of, of, of me and my hurt. Or I could do the other thing and actually by, by engaging and entering into uh, my suffering or your suffering, I could actually be a source of solace to you, a source of comfort. I could be a source of strength to you. That's a decision that, that you guys had the opportunity to make. And you, what Job is saying is you made a bad decision. Rather than taking the opportunity to, to carefully come alongside of me and strengthen me and support me in the midst of my hurt, no, it, was, it became too consequential for you. Um, and so you took a different approach. Even if you are the cause of your loved one's hurt. Your hurting friend, your hurting family member is best helped by sharing in their hurt, that is entering into their experience, seeing what they're feeling and thinking, seeing uh, things from their perspective and doing so without passing judgment on them. Yes. I see that what I said and what I did was hurtful. Full stop. Not, but you need to knock it off already. Or not, but I feel like you're using your hurt against me. Or, but you shouldn't be responding in the way that you're responding. I understand that you're hurting. I get it. I get it. Job says, you could have taken the opportunity to be a strength to me to be a source of comfort, but you didn't take that opportunity. Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest, talking about Jesus. We do not have uh, a savior, a mediator between us and God who doesn't sympathize with our weakness, who doesn't understand our own hurt that we've caused ourselves. Because he came and he joined us in our situation, in our circumstance. That's what the God of the universe did, who had no requirement upon him to do so. He lowered himself and came down and joined us in our, in our painful experiences in order to be our solace, our comfort, our strength. 
John 12, 47, I did not come to judge, but to save you. I came into your situation in order to be your healing. Um, I'm not here to put you on trial. That is the gospel. I mean, if Jesus can approach us that way, then surely we can approach others that way. So I want to hit you just with a couple of references uh, real quick. Um, talking about God's heart uh, towards those who are hurting. Isaiah 61.1, God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Psalms 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We have received a comfort. We share that comfort to those who are hurting. Last one, Hebrews 12, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak. Strengthen the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, won't be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Take careful consideration for those that are hurting to ensure that you are a source of strength in their life, that you don't be the reason that they suffer greater damage, that the, that the limb that is weakened through injury is not further weakened by being dislocated entirely. But do your part to make sure that that thing that has been wounded is fully healed by joining with them in their hurt, in their woundedness, like I've done for you by joining you. <clears throat> I don't think um, there's been anything uh, in my relationships with the people closest to me that has required more courage on my part than to enter into um, the hurt of a close friend um, the hurt of a, of a loved one, the hurt of uh, a family member. Um, the reason it takes such courage is because oftentimes you, you stumble upon your own part in causing that hurt. And again, sometimes it was carelessness, recklessness. Other times it was uh, unintentional by omission and yet you were a contributor, and it takes a tremendous amount of uh, humility and grace in your relationship with God in those moments to not be forceful, to not try to negotiate, to not demand that they defend, well, if you're saying you were hurt by me, then you better make a better argument or make a better case. That's not fair. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of grace and humility in those moments to just say, I understand that was hurtful. 
then to and then to not add anything destructive to join with them if you need to say i'm sorry say i'm sorry and if it comes up again say i'm sorry again and if it comes up again say i'm sorry again god has joined with us in our hurt and he will strengthen you he will equip you and he will lead you as you navigate the hurt of the ones that you love and like i said a little bit ago it is worth it um, In fact, it's an honor. It's a privilege to partner with God in his healing ministry in the hearts of those that we care so much about. So as you tackle those things in your own relationships, uh, just know that I'm praying for you. God bless.